This episode is brought to you by Canela Bistro and Wine Bar, serving Spanish plates and over 70 wines from Spain in the heart of San Francisco. Visit us socially at Canela SF and canelasf.com. You're listening to Food, Wine, and the Culinary Mind with Matt Schuster. We're getting inside the brilliant and delicious minds of remarkable culinary individuals. We're telling stories, cutting up, and breaking it down. Welcome back. I am here with my friend, actor, and improviser, Eric Rogers. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for for joining to, to talk tea. Yeah, definitely. I love to talk about tea. Tea talk. So this episode was really cool because Steve Schwartz is the CEO and founder of Art of Tea, which is the tea that we serve at the restaurant. It's my favorite tea. I'm a big tea drinker. And when I got to choose tea for the restaurant, it was very exciting because I got to taste all of my favorite teas. Nice. And this is this is where I landed. So... Tell me about you and tea. What's your relationship with tea? You know, interestingly enough, I don't drink it that much right now, but I do enjoy when I feel like I need to calm down or want to relax a little bit. I find like green tea is just the thing kind of hits the spot for me. So green tea calms you down. Yeah, I find it does, even though I think it has more caffeine than regular tea, or so I'm told. Yeah, green tea kind of amps me up, but you know, tea affects everybody differently. And I grew up in Texas where iced tea was was daily. Even oh. it was like it was in your your sippy cup. It was in your baby bottle. It was just, you know, iced tea and not sweet, no sugar. Okay. No, I can hum a few bars of that from growing up. My grandmother used to make she was really a big iced tea person. She would actually brew it herself using tea bags and then like in the have the pitcher in the sun, like everything you Sun sort of tea. Imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But at home we had the I want to say it was, I don't remember the brand. It wasn't country time, but it was like the scoop with the sugary stuff. And it was like crystallized, like powdery stuff. Right. So, so this is not that at all. No, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. This is, and and, and you're going to hear when you listen to this episode, Steve, talk about how they handpicked the vendors and, and really source good stuff and good ingredients for the tea. But he's really fascinating to listen to. I asked him to sum up the history of tea in a very short time, which, which I thought what he did a really great job on. So Steve Schwartz, the founder of Art of Tea, he's a master tea blender. He went to the Ayurvedic Institute in New Mexico. He had some beginning lessons in life that took him on that path. His mom had gotten sick, and so he went on a journey to figure out how he could be more involved in health. So it was really very, very interesting story. You can find his teas where Wolfgang Puck restaurants are located, in the Aria, for Google, uh, he does custom blends for Vera Wang and for other companies. You can find it in the restaurant. And I, I always like asking what people are drinking when I see them drinking tea because I like to share that experience with them. Like I said, it's one of my favorite things about tea is people who like tea, they like to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> known, you know, mostly through my yoga practice. A lot of people that I interact with are really big into tea and they can talk about it, like tea in talk. volumes. Yeah, <laughs> tea talk tea. for sure. A lot of my, uh, yeah, after a yoga class, if I'm meeting up with someone, it's typically at a tea house. And it's just a really nice experience. Do I you find. have a favorite tea joint? Um, if I'm allowed to name places? Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, Samovar is a nice one. Yeah, Samovar is nice in San Francisco. Go to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, if you would like to check out Art of Tea on social, it's at Art of TLA. You can also check them out on the web, artoft.com. So shall we listen to some tea talk? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. Let's go. All right. Okay, Steve, tell me about the history of tea summed up thousands of years in just a few minutes. So all true tea comes from one evergreen shrub called Camellia sinensis. So white tea, green tea, oolong tea, and black tea and poor tea all come from this evergreen shrub that we know of as Camellia sinensis. So think about it like wine, all true wine comes from grapes, but depending on the type of grape, where it's from, the terroir, the artisan that's crafting it, are they crushing the grapes, are they cooking it? All these things play into creating a delicious glass of wine. So tea goes through this process, right? And typically hand harvested. What we source at Art of Tea is the top 2% of all the teas that are produced in the world, hand harvested, hand crafted. And true tea, we believe, comes from Camellia Now, if it's not from Camellia it's in a totally different category called tisane. And tisane is a fancy French word that means herbal or botanical, like chamomile or mint. And the origin of tea sparks from a few thousand years ago, some say 5,000 years ago, where there was an emperor, a sage, a poet, who uh, was boiling his water and let the water cool by his windowsill. And there was a breeze that flew by. And, and within that breeze, there was a camellus anisus leaf that flew up in the air, landed inside of his pot of cooling water, drank it and claimed its healing elixir and its power. Now think about this, right? In today's world, we have Red Bull, we have Monster, we have Espresso Shot, we have so many stimuli or stimulants. This was the first Red Bull of right, the day. Right. And so this created a storm of inspiration, of philosophy, of thought leadership, of stewardship, of, of you know authentic awakening. And so this was carried from Asia throughout Europe and throughout other parts of the world, and traditionally by Camelback and they would take months and uh, they would light campfires throughout the months to keep themselves warm. And these sacks of tea that were resting by Camelback were being permeated with smoke. So by the time these fresh Mm. harvested green tea leaves were being carried over into parts of Europe, it was no longer this grassy brew. It was this sultry, lush campfire in a cup. So those are the first uh, tea experiences that, that the Europeans are starting to experience. Hmm. I mean, the, the stories and the legends beyond this can go on. I can only imagine. And as part of our journey, you know, I guess in, in those days, maybe they weren't blending as much, right? But I guess over the years, that certainly became more of a... Uh, more of an art, certainly. So, and you're a master blender, right? So, so tell me, and I've tried to blend some, you know, we talked a little bit before, I tried to make some blends on my own. And it is, it is not as easy as, you know, as you would think. It's not as easy as taking like four great ingredients and just mixing them together. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. So tell me how you go about blending and what you're looking for. And So I believe all true teas, when you're creating a blend, should have beauty, brains, and depth. Just like a partner that you're looking for, it wants to. You want to make sure that it has that right balance of all three of those ingredients, and so there should be intelligence behind the blend. There should be a good balance, so that way, just like if you're mixing a granola with sesame seeds, all the sesame seeds will fall to the bottom. So you want to make sure that everything kind of hangs out together and mixes well together. The timing of when you blend some ingredients, like friends, they need to 
blend, the aromatics, the flavor compounds need to mix well together before introducing other ingredients within the blend. So there's a timing and a spacing issue. Do you little, feel like do you feel yeah. like any blends get muddied by being oh, together yeah. too long? Like, like a, I hate, for example, I hate mixed nuts because I feel like you lose those individual flavors of the cashew and the almond and things like that, right? I, I find them much better on their own. Yeah, I mean, it's some, you know, you see this in bartending as well, where like you would not drink a bitter necessarily on its own, but somehow when you mix that bitter with other alcohols, you get a sweetness and you mm -hmm. get a floral note that mm -hmm. you wouldn't necessarily get on its own. So we'll find certain ingredients that will smell like socks or taste like asparagus. But when blended with other mm -hmm. ingredients, those high notes and low notes can complement. Like we work with neem in some of our blends. Neem is the most bitter mm -hmm. botanical on the planet. But when we're mixing it in, it sort of creates this stop where the other flavors can really highlight and be accident. And, and so everything does need to be intelligently crafted and it does take time to develop it. I mean, when I was first starting out, I had a little journal next to the side of my bed and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd write down different ideas or recipes. Or one time I was visiting a friend of mine in Palm Springs and we were driving through a monsoon. Finally, we get to Palm Springs, we open up the door and we were just, our, our senses were plummeted with the fresh smell of the summer rain, mm. of just the wet earth and the desert. And I was like, gosh, I gotta create a blend. Mm. So we created a blend called Summer Rain. Mm -hmm. So sometimes an inspiration from a blend and the challenge of trying to, how can we mimic that is, is science and art blended together. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, because like, you know, with perfumes, you, you only smell, you don't mm, taste, Yeah. but with tea, you smell and taste. Yeah. So you get that extra dimension from it and it changes, you know, it changes from when you smell to then when you taste to then now you have the whole experience. So, so it really kind of keeps morphing and changing. It is a challenge, you know, over 80% of what we taste with tea yeah. is, is actually through our sense of smell and 98% of what we're tasting is water, which means mm. just 2% mm -hmm. is the actual tea that's influencing the, the liqueur, it's influencing the rest of the tea. So how all those ingredients play together and you wanna make sure that it's not too heady, it's not too full, it's a really nice balance blend. And you will get, you know, like Shutters on the Beach, a beautiful hotel in Santa Monica said, here's our shampoo. Can you mix a tea that's great. that can complement this? That. So obviously you wouldn't want to drink something sutty, but you'd right. want something that's inviting. And it's going to set an example of, I remember my experience when I was at Shutters. Sure, right. And I'm going to go back to that through through that tea I experience. Love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so much of of your preferences and tastes come from those set in memories and especially mm -hmm. like early set in memories, you know? Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, so you have your beauty, your brains and your depth. What happens when you get really excited about something and you throw it out there and then the public doesn't respond like you think? Well, I'm gonna alter the story a little <laughs> bit. So uh, when I first started out, so now we have like 30 people on our team, we're, we're blending, we're crafting, we have a nice, great, great, company that we're working with that we built over time, right? But when I first started out, I, mean, I was answering phones on my cell where I was AR and AP and sales and account, I mean, everything, right? Right. right. So, um, and I was blending in my living room for the first year of, of my wow. business. So I was on the phone with a customer and I was blending teas and one blend I was letting rest. I, was, I wasn't finished with the blend. I was letting some of the ingredients and the aromatics kind of blend before I was adding and introducing new ingredients to the mix. So while I was on the phone with the customer, I accidentally dumped some ingredients from one blend into mm. another blend. And I said over the phone, I'm like, oh shit. 
And the customer was like, what, 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 what happened? I'm like, oh no, no, I'm sorry. First of all, I was embarrassed that I cussed over the phone and now on air. Um, and, and <laughs> that's okay. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is not rated, but anyway. Yeah. So anyway, I had this accident that I made and I just put it in this cello bag and I put it in the corner and had all these different boxes in our living room. My wife walks in and she's like, what's that? And she could tell from all the boxes that something was new and different. And, and she knew almost like this instinct, like there's something that you messed up on. And I was like, oh, it's nothing. She's like, well, what is it? I said, well, I messed up on a blend. She said, well, how do you know you messed up? Mm -hmm. I said, ah, I'm an expert. I know it's not good. <laughs> She's like, well, you might want to try it. Right. So it's like, your wife no, keeping you in check. Yes. And so I was good like, job. no, no, I know it's going to be bad. I know it's going to be bad. Anyway, the next morning I woke up, I was like, maybe she's right which you know she, she usually is. And I tried it and it was awesome. Hmm. And so we That's started post sampling out. Post-it notes were created, you know? Oh yeah. So like by accident. So by hey. accident, yeah. yeah. So one of our most popular blends, it's called French Lemon Ginger, was yeah, actually created that, and, by. And we we have that in the restaurant and people love it. Yeah. They, they really love it. Well, so, so, but that's the fun part, right? And, you know, the reason I bring that up is as a chef in a restaurant, you know, and, and especially doing cuisine that's outside of the country that we're in, we get excited about items, especially ones that remind me to Spain so much and are so authentic. And then, you know, I'll get excited. I'll put them on the menu. And then the customers are like, oh, that's good. You know, you know, so it's sometimes they don't live up to the expectation mm -hmm. that you have for them, but that's also okay. And, and well, sometimes it's time, you know, sometimes yeah. what, what, you may think, you know, now people don't like, they may like in five years or vice versa. So true. You know, that beautiful saying, it's not my cup of tea. Right. I think it comes from like, some people have certain preferences of tea and, right. and other preferences of tea. We have over a hundred different teas and varietals. So That's there might crazy. be some people that are really into lychee iced tea, which serves beautifully at your restaurant. And, well, is, de and is delicious. And while other people way. might really gravitate towards a hibiscus and some mm -hmm. people are like, there's no way I would ever drink a hibiscus. Yeah. So all of our teas have an intentional mindset of how the blends are created with an Ayurvedic background behind it. And so you, you're you so good at blending that you taught the first tea sommelier in the United States. Yeah, this was before any programs were really established and there was a need for certain establishments wanting to establish some sort of authority. So it was actually Caesar's Palace that said, hey, we're looking to, for a tea sommelier, what can we do? And I said, well, I'm happy to spend time. It took a year and a half, a month, every month they'd fly me out. And Tough every, job. Yeah, or they would fly her out and we would hang out for one or two days and we would really dive into origin. Let's go into uh, Fujian province in China and, mm. and what are the white teas that they're sourcing and what are those flavor notes like compared to other varietals in other areas? Mm. So. It's like wine in it's so many ways. Similar. Oh yeah, the terroir, the yeah, I mean the soil conditions, the how they're harvested, the time of day, the time of year, wow. and even how the plant blooms and flourishes, and the flushes, the three right. flushes, right? Very similar to wine. The amount of uh, water that they get, and, or lack thereof. Yeah, right. And and I'll just like with wine, the the more harsh the conditions, right, where it's frost at night and high heat during the day that can play into creating a really mm. interesting grape flavor profile and the same thing with tea and i i see it a lot tea is also very similar to people right i mean the more if you think about some of the people you know that have gone mm -hmm. through some are overbrewed <laughs> <laughs> bad joke bad joke 
Continue. But also just think about the people you know that are really interesting. They, mm -hmm. they didn't live a linear life. They lived a life that was very dynamic and interesting and mm -hmm. tried, right? Or they've gone through some sort of trial where they overcame it and they're able to shine through that, right? And these are people that you surround yourself with that you're really sure. trying to inspire to be better. And so T has that same aspect. It's the T's that have gone through those transitional times that allowed it to really thrive and flourish. And we always look for those stories. And you're traveling around looking for tea. So what are your requirements for, for bringing a tea on into your, into your world? Well, so I'll give you an example. The governor of Japan selected four tea companies from around the world. It was myself, someone from England, someone from Germany, someone from, from the East Coast. And they wanted us to spend 10 days and meet with different growers and farmers. This was a couple of years ago, I was really busy. I was like, you know, I know a lot about tea. I don't know that I have the time to go and devote to this, it's 10 days. I was like, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll try this. First of all, I got there and from the first day, I was blown away by the in-depth knowledge and experience and passion. I mean, there's such a sense of mastery. Well, it's in their culture, right? So it's, that, yeah, you that know. Mastery, yeah, mastery, that it absolutely is, whether you're sweeping the floors or whether you're sharpening knives, right. like there's a deep sense of pride and ownership over your craft. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, I'm gonna do this for a few years, I'm gonna do that for a few years, and maybe I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is my path, this is what I'm sticking to. And it was, it's beautiful being it's in that. So but I learned so much about varietals and tea varietals and, and the science behind how the, in Japan, how they grow and harvest specific unique teas. Mm. So what I look for is I look for that sense of love and dedication on the field side mm -hmm. and a story and organic is also super important for us. We carry the largest variety of organic teas on mm. the market. So that is meaningful if, if I'm not gonna put it in my body or um, my kid's body, I'm, uh, I don't wanna offer it to the rest of the sure. world, so. What about sustainability and like worker conditions and how do you go researching and making sure, cause I mean, tea comes from far away. Yeah. It, you know, it's not like you can just like pop over, you know, to do a surprise inspection, you know, as easily, right? So, yeah. so how do you make sure those things are to your standards? So. Fair Trade as an organization, before they were split into two, and I think they might even be three branches now mm -hmm. uh, of competing Fair Trade, they had a really great mission in mind. So I wanted to go see where our dollars and cents were being spent. So I went to uh, Anhui in China, and I wanted to go see the effect of the schools that we were helping to build and the, the hospitals and the roadways and the lighting and the cultural centers that we were helping to establish. When I really drilled down into it, what I found was, you know, there was this, they're like, great, we'll accept your money. We'll accept this fair trade, but we're already in the mindset of doing this. So when you're dealing with an organic product, mm -hmm. the production is about 60% less than conventional. Mm -hmm. So they know that they have to be very intentional about charging a little bit more for their product because their output isn't going to be as high. And if they're able to charge a little bit more, then what does that do to the co-ops, the women farmers, the families that we're impacting? So on a community scale, it's awesome seeing that growth and development. Then when we get really artisanal with some of the oolongs that we're working with and some of those Japanese teas that we're working with, like when I was in Japan last year, I went to visit one of the families that we work on a beautiful matcha i mean it's in this it's all grown ground and harvested at origin so it's away from light heat and humidity in these single serve packets mm. 
And I went and visited him. I went to auction with him, sourced our different teas, and I went back to his house, which is up in the mountains in Fuji, in uh, Uji province uh, in Kyoto Prefecture. It's like, wow, this is a beautiful house. Like, how long have you lived here? Thinking with my ignorant Western mind that, you know, maybe every five or 10 years you might move. Right. And he's like, what do you mean? Well, how long have you lived here? So, said, well, I've lived here my whole life. I'm like, oh, cool. So your parents bought the place. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I understand your question now. Mm. We've lived here at least 10 generations wow. documented. Oh my God, that's crazy. And for 10 generations, they've been growing and harvesting and cultivating and mm -hmm. crafting just, you know, these beautiful artisanal teas. Mm. And the next generation has two daughters. And his hope is that they will be the leaders, that they that the industry within Japanese culture will accept, you know, after 10 generations that this new stewardship will come in and really help lead the game. Mm. So. so when you deal as part of your business with other cultures and realizing that, you know, you don't know all of them, right? I mean, I mean sure there are instances like that where, where you're traveling to China, Japan, India, you know, all over and just realizing like, okay, I need to be a student of the world and learn how other cultures, you know, think a little bit. Yeah, so I part of it is really understanding a culture is through food, right? So I'll give two quick examples. One is when I was in Japan, I was visiting the family. He's like, where do you want to eat? I was like, I just love sushi. I'm in Japan. I'm like, take me to sushi. He's like, no, we're too far away from good sushi. I'm like, oh, you know what, please. Like, there's got to be good sushi. Right. We're this in Japan. Is, you're in Japan. Right. He's like, uh, okay. And they don't really say no in Japan. So they, they're like, no, okay, okay. That's what you want. I gave you the warning, right? right I gave right. you the option. <laughs> so we go to a place to eat sushi and it was bad. Uh, it was really bad. The second- you get bad sushi <laughs> in Japan. So he's like, so there you so, but now yes, you know, you, you, know, you learned know. your lesson. And the second was when I was in China recently, I don't eat animal products when I travel. Mm -hmm. um, so I told my interpreter, I just wanted to give really clear instructions. I don't eat chicken. I don't eat goat. I don't eat duck. I don't eat beef. I don't eat lamb. Right, I went through all the the usual suspects, mm -hmm. and he takes me with one of our farmers that we work with to this restaurant, and he's like, "Look," and it's full of aquariums of snakes and turtles and all Whoa. sorts of like unusual Moving creatures. Food, yes. yes, he's like, "We took you to a restaurant where they don't serve chicken and lamb and beef and everything else here that you want." Yeah. So yeah, well, hey, you know they listened and they were they did you know, they listened yeah. to you. Like you didn't give us those options, but we found this restaurant for you. So there's a lot of talk now, uh, you know, certainly around sustainability, you know, with food and bugs yeah. and how bugs are like the so new protein. Cool. You know, yeah. would you ever imagine mixing in, say, some cricket protein into a tea blend to, uh, you know, you know, make make something special there? I would encourage someone to explore with their own, <laughs> uh, but you can definitely use our teas as a base. So. Right, right. RFT plus crickets. Yeah. So you started traveling when you when you were young. You'd mentioned before when we talked a, a little bit about doing a type of a Peace Corps kind of program. You ended up in the Middle East when when you were kind of early on in, in your young life. So so how do you think, you know, the things that you learned there, you know, stayed with you, and, and what did you learn there? Oh man, so much. First of all, hospitality and uh, in the most authentic way, right? I mean, this. I love LA. I'm so fond of LA. This is my home. It's wonderful. You can establish a friendship and a kinship with someone, but it goes deep to a certain level. But it's almost like you have to prove 
time and again, how committed you are to this relationship. And even if you say you're going to get together, there could be a well, flakiness. So there's, and there's studies on that. And I shorthand it by saying you have to log hours with someone, you know, and oh, you really have to, you have to log some time with people. I mean, yeah. you can't, you know, just spend a couple hours and, and then, you know, you have to spend like, you know, some time and it's, and it's true. And there's, I encourage you, there's very interesting Ted talks on the subject. You should yeah. look that up. But anyway, so, so you're, you're there's looking this, at the culture in the Middle East, right? Yeah, I mean, there's and where, this, where were you exactly? I was in Israel, I was in Palestine, I was in Jordan. Mm. And there's this Sabra mentality, this mentality almost like a cactus fruit of it very prickly on the outside and super sweet on the inside. So if you once you break through that exterior hard barrier mm -hmm. and you're in, I mean, you are in, you're like family there. And so there's this warmth, there's this hospitality, there's this, let me show you my world, you are my guest, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna go above and beyond. Right. And it's it's a very selfless act of just wanting you to to you know show up fully in that experience in that culture, and that the food and the cuisine and the hospitality it's it's mind blowing. Mm. So what were you doing while you were there? Well, I was teaching kids horticulture. I noticed that I was brought into the school system to help with English, and I realized I was watching a kid eat a pita with like a Nutella type spread, mm -hmm. and. And I saw him eat it again the next day. And then the next day, and I saw all the kids, some, some of them didn't even have lunch. Mm. And a lot of these kids were from some really transitional places. And so I wanted to show them how to grow and harvest their own food and where their food actually comes from. So on campus, in the playground, there was a big dirt patch. And I started hoeing away at the ground and looking at different native things and, and other mm. things that we can grow to give the kids a sense of, deep understanding and, and love of and, and the were, products were you that they're eating. Were you learning about horticulture along with them at that time, or did you come from like a gardening background? So from my background in uh, studying Ayurveda and mm -hmm. studying plant medicine, mm -hmm. part of that was I took a summer and I lived in an ashram. Mm. Uh, and, and this was before you before were in, I, okay, got yeah. it. And so while I was there, mm -hmm. um, I worked in the kitchen mm -hmm. and I worked in the garden. And so I got a good understanding of the vegetables that we were harvesting mm -hmm. and how that was the food that we were living off of, mm -hmm. right? And how much clearer my energy was, how much more appreciative I was of the fuel I was putting in my body. And then how I was transforming the whole existence of that zucchini mm -hmm. or squash or whatever it was, the sole purpose was then to have that energy transform. And that alchemy was then for me to give my full self and show up fully from, wow. from that. So you're teaching them how to garden and, and you were there long enough to see some things grow. Yeah. And, and hopefully pass pass that skill on, pass that, that those tools on. That's great. Yeah. That's and that was like the first edible schoolyard uh, you know, on uh, your program, right? Yeah, this, this was is like before, before. The, yeah. Yeah, that is invaluable. Um, Thanks. So, so you ended up spending a year uh, doing that, and then you came back home kind of with like a new lease on life, and you were even stronger in your path of Ayurveda, and then what? I started working at a treatment center for kids, incorporating the same philosophy of there's something really healing with working with the earth, right? Like mm -hmm. you're pulling out those roots and metaphorically you're digging up your own shit and getting it out, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you're, you're planting new seeds. So while I was doing that and I was starting to build my own tea company 
and I was saving my money. I would go to Origin, I'd bring stuff back, and I caught the attention of Wolfgang Puck. How did that happen? <laughs> you know, I think 80% of success is, is showing up. And so um, a friend of mine just kept saying, you really should, your tea should be in Wolfgang Puck, your mm. tea should be in Wolfgang Puck. So I sent samples, I showed up, I mm-hmm. turned them on. It's because so the tea is sort of an afterthought mm-hmm. for a lot of restaurants. It is the especially most- Especially at that time. Especially at this that time. This was pre quote yeah. unquote foodie, so. Yeah. You know. And tea is the most profitable item on any menu. Mm. And most people just, in restaurants, just give it sort of a, a third, you know, they don't even think about it, mm-hmm. right? So my mission in life has been to help shed light on how it is the most important part of the meal. It's the first part of the meal with iced tea and it's mm-hmm. the last part of the meal with hot tea. Mm-hmm. And it has so many different health and taste benefits. It can enhance a menu in a tremendous way. And so mm-hmm. once the staff gets super excited about origin and craft, then I, I know that I've at least left somewhat of an impact on them. Mm-hmm. So speaking of impact, so I, I know you participate in your community a lot. And tea, I guess, really kind of goes hand in hand with participation and with community. I mean, you know, there are so many ceremonies around tea and so many, so much emphasis on drinking tea with people mm-hmm. and the yeah, sense process of ritual, of, a sense of ritual. So, you know, for, you know, first of all, ritual and ceremony, I think, is very much lacking in our society. And tea is one of those things where it doesn't matter what religion or race or age or gender you are, it's leaves and water. And just by simply being mindful and getting the leads, leaves, getting the water ready and serving and pouring for someone else can have such a deep and lasting and meaningful effect. It creates conversations. It stimulates the thyroid, the, the mental facilities, the digestive. It gets everything really activated. Mm-hmm. And so it allows you as the server or you as the guest to be able to be fully engaged in that moment. So what do you, and I'm connecting this with in stopping and enjoying and taking a moment. So I'd asked you earlier about things that you take for, for granted, and I think it ties into what we're talking about here. So what do you take for granted? What do I take for granted? Mm-hmm. I'd say my just breath, right? Like the fact that we can go months without, or a month or so without eating and a few days without water, and but we can only live for minutes without air. and and. When you see someone that you haven't seen in a while, what do you do? You take a huge deep breath in, you're full of inspiration. And when someone's depressed, literally their lungs are physically depressed, they're, they're compressed. Mm-hmm. So if I wanna feel connected, you know, they say how you show up anywhere is how you show up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so breath is that one thing that can allow me to remind myself how am I fully showing up right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think like other drinks, right? You know, I, I feel maybe people aren't as connected if they have, I don't know, like a glass of Tang, right? I mean, they're not, they're not as conscious, right? But like you said, you know, that whole process, I know I drink tea in the morning and, and, and the whole process of, of brewing that cup of tea. You have to wait. You do. You, you, you have, have no wait. control. Like, right. dude, it's not up to you. That's it's right. up to the leaves just being ready to unfold and unfurl and that dance and that ceremony. Right. And then when it's ready, then you can fully enjoy it. Instead of this, I got to check my email. Now, remember like Bodum and dial up? Right. Like that sucked. Right. We had to wait. Right. We were waiting for the moment when we had this instant push of a button and we have it now. Now our society is built and baked around instant, instant, instant yeah. knowledge and information. Instagram, yes. And if you were able to be bored for a minute or two mm-hmm. and have that digital detox, mm-hmm. 
then tea can have that lasting effect. You can be so much more mindful and intentional uh, throughout the rest of the day, just just through those few moments. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's not, you know, it's it's not something that's associated with like a rush, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know. But you the, do get a clarity with it. Like, in you fact. You do. In, no, I mean like rush speed. Like, it's yeah. not associated with like, you know, I'm going to like chug this hot cup of coffee and like <laughs> run out the door, hot cup of tea, excuse me, yeah. and run out the door. It's not, you know, for me, it is, like you said, you have to wait, you have to breathe, you have to relax a little bit, and then you get it. And then comes the reward, right? So tea has, you know, there's a saying within the industry of what's called tea mind, where you mm -hmm. get this level of sharp clarity mm -hmm. and intention. So in fact, in Zen monasteries, before people go and sit in lotus pose for hours at a time, they'll drink a cup of sencha green tea to help stay, keep that focus, the fringes of the mind and helps get them really myopic on, on what they're focusing on. Mm. And, so, and, yeah. and all those things come in handy when you're leading a team. I mean, now you've been doing this as a job for a while. So I would imagine you think about those first days when you were, you know, the one doing nine jobs and, and that's gotten a little bit, you know, more defined as you've, you know, built your team. But how does your viewpoint on tea really kind of come in, in your whole life on tea and Ayurveda come to play into your role as a leader? I think there's two types of leader, which is one is someone that has a low level of trust, a very short rope, and will allow people just to, you know, you do as I say, right? And that's one type of leadership. And my style of leadership, I'd say I give a, a long rope, a high level of trust. And with that rope, you either run with it and you're able to use it as a tool or you can hang yourself, hang yourself right? <laughs> Basically. Correct. So with that in mind, I'd say my style is more of a coaching style. Mm -hmm. um, and I really try to empower and groom my team as much as possible and support them. I could not do it without the talent on my team. I thank God I have a super talented team that helps with, you know, really helping to lead the charge and, and grow and help me be the best that I can be at what I'm good at. I'm really good at a few things. Mm -hmm. And there's other people that are really good at things that I'm not so good at. Well, but that's part of being, you know, a good, a good leader is realizing yeah. what you're not good at. No, totally. You know, I yeah. like, I'm not good at books. So, you know, I have help from awesome people who are really good at books, you know, <laughs> and I recognize that. So I, I think that sometimes it's hard to recognize or to let or tell yourself that you're not good at something when you think you are. Yeah. But in the long run, you know, it's, it's a disservice to everybody, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things along those lines that, that helped with our team establishment, I think, is we set core values pretty early on and we mm -hmm. review our core values as a team and we hire, we promote, we fire based on our core values. Mm. And we showcase our core values. We'll highlight on a weekly basis someone that may be exemplifying a particular core value. And I spent time this summer, I spent two days in nature honing in on our manifesto. And these are key things, key drivers of why we exist. It's sort of a mission and vision all baked into one. And really it, it boils down to our mission is to create a delicious experience and we want to impact as many lives as we can through tea. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you must get customer stories about some of those impacts. Yeah, we just got a card last week of, it's a beautiful handwritten card. And just in order for a tea to show up at someone's house, the order doesn't get made until the order comes in. Just like if someone goes to your restaurant, they get a fresh plate of tapas or a fresh salad. So that same intention is in mind 
when someone orders a cup, uh, I'm sorry, some tea from us. So mm-hmm. that's when we blend it, we pack it, put hand label it, hand seal it. And getting a handwritten note, a lost craft, right? A handwritten note from a customer just identifying the high level of customer service and recognizing that it's hand-blended and handcrafted and they're willing to wait the few extra days in our Amazon culture of things being overnight, you know, <laughs> yeah, prime delivery, right? So it's that pride. I mean, they try to share that recognition with our team as much as possible because it, it's not one person. It's a whole team that's really helping to to drive our, our awareness of who we are and why we exist. So if you were talking to somebody who was afraid to get into tea, mm-hmm. that they were maybe not for lack of not liking tea, but more like feeling overwhelmed with how you prepare it and that they were going to screw it up. And, yeah. you know, so what's your, you know, kind of a, a fast approach to the gateway to tea? That's an awesome question. The first thing I'd say is it's leaves and water. As soon as someone realizes, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, it's right. just leaves and water. Right. The second thing is, fuck it up, mess it up. Mm. Like add a little bit too much leaves, add mm-hmm. a little bit too much hot water, and then start to test and play with it. Most people are not fans of tea because they're used to what you can get at the supermarket, mm-hmm. which is or even worse, what comes from like a fountain, a soda fountain. Yeah, like, out of a gun. Yeah, gross. That's terrible. It's sitting for a while. Yeah. So what we source is the top two percent of all the teas that are produced in, in the world. So now I'd like mm-hmm. you to imagine, okay? You get a bag of chips, a beautiful unsalted, unflavored bag of chips. On the Mm -hmm. top of the bag, you get these beautiful uniform shapes. And as you work your way down to the bottom, you have powder or dust. Mm -hmm. So when they're producing our teas in the factories that have been hand harvested and hand roasted and hand fired, the dust flies in the air, falls on the ground. They sweep that in giant piles. And that's typically what's reserved for most paper tea bags. Mm -hmm. So when most people are like, I don't like tea, I wouldn't like that tea either mm-hmm. because it's the shitty tea you can get in a, mm-hmm. a supermarket. Tea shake. Tea shake, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the bad stuff. Well, what we're, when you get a whole leaf tea experience that's mm-hmm. organic and hand harvested and hand blended, mm-hmm. it's mind blowing. It's, mm-hmm. it's like stepping into an artisan chocolate or a fine wine or a handcrafted aged cheese, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Totally different than craft slice, right? Mm-hmm. So- I'd strongly encourage someone to to explore and mess up. Just get in there and see the thousands of varietals of Camila Sinesis that are out there um, within these these lanes of uh, of this beautiful plant that we know of as tea. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to test your knowledge a little bit, and I'm going to put you on the spot and test your knowledge a little bit. So tell me ingredients, blending ingredients, that if you wanted to design a tea to combat a cold, cold symptoms, what ingredients would you put in there? So a big part of what's so healing about tea is, I'm going to give you a long answer here, Matt, but then I'll give you a short answer, okay? (laughs) So the long answer is there's that intention of preparing the tea and the hot water itself, which is super cleansing. Um, So that intention is extremely, the health benefits go above and beyond any short-term ingredients that we'll be adding. With that in mind, the first amazing tonic, which is great for pretty much anyone's condition is ginger. 
you know, when you have fresh grated ginger, mm. whether you're suffering from jet lag or a headache or any sort of you know nausea, according to Ayurveda, it's considered tridoshic. So it's balancing for all three aspects of the of the digestive tract in the body. So ginger is fantastic. And then I would also ask what type of cold? When did they start experiencing the cold? Was it are they experiencing any sort of localized pain? Because Doctor T, we, well, we <laughs> love we, it. No, we tend going. to we tend to think of pain or cold, you take this pill, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. While tea is, and wellness is so layered, right? Someone might be experiencing an allergy or could be stress that's underlined as somewhat of a cold. But if we're able to sort of peel that back a bit, then we can really start to identify with how that ritual and that wellness can have longer lasting effects than any sort of, again, short-term ingredients. Mm. Okay, party tea. I'm gonna go out on the town, I wanna party but I don't want to drink. I want to drink some party tea. So matcha, anytime you hear the word cha at the end of the word, mm -hmm. so sencha, matcha, again matcha. Matcha is a powder tea. Now it's in terms of trends, I mean, it's, it's hot and it will stay for a while. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about matcha is, so usually when you make a tea, you take the tea, you put it inside a strainer or a, a, some sort of device and you pull that out and you drink the extract, right? With matcha, it's deliberately stone ground and you end up getting the full impact of the leaf. You're drinking the entire leaf. Mm. It's just powdered. So what you end up getting is the caffeine and polyphenols and flavonoids and ECGCs, all the great stuff in there. So you get this almost instant metabolic and mental rush mm. and you're freaking ready to crush it. Mm -hmm. So Perfect. So that's, yeah, that's, that is that's it. the party team. That's the party team. Okay, party. So, so party. Hey, I'm, I'm naming blends. You know, I've talked about this with other folks on the podcast. Naming things, it is so hard. Mm. Uh, I remember when we named the restaurant, it was super hard. Naming this podcast took forever and me annoying all my friends with like a thousand different names. So naming teas. Yeah. It's, it's you have to sum up everything about that blend in a name. Yeah. You know, so... That must be a process, yeah? So we just did a big brand refresh about a year ago. And one of the things that we found, we, we started to ask our questions, started to ask our customers rather, why do you drink tea? Mm -hmm. And we found that they drink tea because of several major reasons. One, there's a central ritual that we talked about, right? Mm -hmm. So that ritual is time of day. So we created a time collection. So we have a 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 p.m., mm -hmm. 3 p.m. And people will drink tea. Now millennials, 86% of millennials are tea drinkers. It doesn't mean that they drink mm -hmm coffee or tea only they'll drink tea at a particular time of day and tea at a you know they'll, they'll mix it up so we created the time collection and then there's the wellness collection mm -hmm. right and then there's our classic collection and then we also have our dessert collection so do so. you find that you may take the same blend and rename it if that name is not responding well we did so we had some phenomenal tasting teas that were not moving well and so we move them into a time collection. Mm. And we've also cut back on some of our teas. Mm -hmm. And some of our teas we also offer in terms of collections. So we just launched our spring collection and you know, then we'll offer our summer collection and fall collection and we'll pull some off mm. and we'll evaluate. We'll figure out what's trending with our customers. What are they looking for? And we'll also source. We just put out a tea that was a golden needle, a beautiful spring harvest tea we got a really short amount, a really small amount of that tea and we put it on. It was available for like 36 hours and then it was done. Um, mm. Okay. So now on that vein, I'm going to lead us into a small game if, if that's okay. And this is, this is no wrong answer. First thing that comes to your mind, uh, three things 
that could be complete, like completely made up. They don't have to have any basis in reality. So tell me three rejected tea blends. Three rejected tea blends. And they don't have to be actual. They could just be flavors in your mind that would just be like the worst in the world that you would never, you know. Uh, liver. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, no, you're, this is exactly what I want. Keep going. So liver uh, and what? Liver and candy cane. Okay. Part, I love it. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Uh, you want a third yeah, I, one? I, no, I, no, that would be one. Okay. It's a blend, right? So like yeah. liver candy cane is one blend. All right. Then I'd Give say. Give me two more. Sure. Pine cone and mm-hmm. maple bacon. So um, <laughs> what does pine cone taste like? Because it's because you, you you mentioned something with pine before, right? So have you, you've tried We've it. We've tried, you know, pine bark has lots uh-huh. of healing benefits behind sure. it. Lots of anti-aging properties. So uh-huh. is it like astringent and like. It's a, got, it's got like a lasting lingering cedar that uh-huh. just won't get off your tongue. Got it. So. Got it. So, so that was pine cone and maple bacon. I love it. Also oh, sounds like that would be the camping blend, right? The, yeah. The rejected camping blend. All right. You got one, one more in you. One more. Yeah. Rejected um, tea blends. Rejected tea blends. We did a one for Christmas and it had, I mentioned candy canes again. It was like a Santa's little helper mm-hmm. kind of blend. And it was, it had like little candy pieces in it. And it was just way out of the box. <laughs> we don't offer anything like that, but we tried it anyway and we quickly took it off. So it was like little, little like, uh, oh, uh-huh. I'm getting a visual now. <laughs> yes, yes. That is interesting. So you end up with like little gnarled, melted pieces of yes. uh, pieces And the of dye things, that was in right? there and it was like, why are we doing right. this? And it's, you know what, we- Well, it's good to make mistakes though, is, right? You have to go out, you have to, you know what, if it scares you and excites you at the same time, then you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Even if you're willing to fuck up a little bit, I'd rather have those like, all right, I did it, I tried it, I fucked up, and mm-hmm. I'm owning the fact that mm-hmm. I fucked up. But it's not just that like kind of head and hands kind of thing. It's also, hey, I now I know not <laughs> totally, to do yeah. this. I mean, it's, you know, it's how cavemen learn not to touch fire, right? Yeah. It's, it's that you touch fire once and you realize that that's how it works, you know? So, okay. So three things that make you cuss. Three things that make me cuss. My like, ki- like, like beyond, oh, let, let me say beyond normal cussing, like strings of cussing. And it could be good or bad. I don't. Even internally? Internally, no? I... You know, in being in LA and in traffic. Oh, understandable. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I think that's one. I try to show up fully for my kids and I have a teenager, so I feel like I'm tested at times with that. And then just. Oh, teenager, enough said. That's that's perfectly understandable, number two. Yeah, I'd say one of the things that I love doing is I'll, I'll try to, I will mentor and help other businesses. And I've had some that have, I, I've given as much information and power and and insight to, and I've been burned just you know through stewardship of trying to help mm. them. And that's so, a shame. Yeah, I was telling you before that I have done stages or internships in Spain, yeah. and I found that when I go into these Spanish kitchens, they are so wonderful, and mm. they are. I remember one time I was you know, looking at one of their recipe books and I felt a little weird about it. And the sous chef came up to me and said, you should write these down so you have them. Wow. And and it's not quite the same culture everywhere. And I thought it was maybe like a one-off, but I interned in about seven different kitchens in Spain and they were all like that. 
And awesome. it just, it's really, it's amazing. And it, and it shows you that you don't have, like nothing's so precious. You don't mm -hmm. have to be so tied to, you know, I mean, maybe like the formula for like, you know, something really sacred, right? That's very specific. But for the most part, you know, none of it's precious. I yeah. mean, you know, it's. Well, that approach, you know, is great because you, you work there, you, you know, showed up mm -hmm. to really help and to learn and to cultivate knowledge. And then that environment was also one of, you know, supporting your growth mm -hmm. and that intention. That's, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was nice. Okay. So last three things. So three things you learn about yourself in a Peace Corps like program. That the more energy you give, the more energy you get, you know, we don't be lazy, AKA. <laughs> yeah, no, really. Like, cause there's times where like, you know, I just need to rest a little bit and the rest actually created more lethargy. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there's an Ethiopian family that I was helping these Ethiopian immigrants that lost their family, these young kids that lost their mother and father along this 500 mile walk. And they went over to their aunt and uncle's house that they were staying at mm. and they were incredibly poor, but they offered me a can of Coke and a piece of gum. And for them, that was uh, like, they opened the treasure drawer mm. for their honored guest. And just that level of hospitality of kindness mm. of, uh, you know, and then, the last thing is just how incredibly huge and dynamic our world is. And whenever you get caught up in thinking of the super tiny things that can get in my way to get out of my head as much as possible and realize just how much more I, ha I can give and have to give in, in this life. That's great and very inspiring. I would expect no less from a tea guru. So <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. This super was super, in, super yeah. enlightening for those of you who want to see them on social, go to at Art of TLA. You can also go to artoft.com for more information. We'll also have a page on our website, canelasf.com under <laughs> our podcast section. It'll give you some photos and the links to Art of Tea. Uh, had amazing time talking with you. Drink some tea. Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening to Food, Wine, and the Culinary Mind. Find us on all things social at Culinary Mindcast and on the web, canelasf.com backslash podcast. Don't forget to rate us where you found us. <laughs>